Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's show, we're going to address some odds and ends, materials we would have liked to have talked about in the past many weeks, but for one reason or another just didn't get to it. So um, we, we think this is worthy stuff, things we're, we should address, and, and well, today's going to be the day to address them. We mentioned on last week's program that we might uh, might have Gil Metavoy talk about uh, the situation in Israel's attacks on Gaza and Lebanon, but uh, to be honest, I, I never even called Gil to set anything up. I, I've been a little bit down about the world scene, you might say, and... Um, We'll talk about some of the stuff that's going on today, and it's uh, it's not going to be pretty, some of it, but we're going to try and temper that with some good news on a lot of different fronts, because there is a lot of good news on various fronts. On this date in history, which is July 27th in 1540, Thomas Cromwell was executed for treason. He was the principal advisor to King Henry VIII of England and arranged a marriage between the king and Anne of Cleves to secure German allies against the Catholic Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. But Henry found Anne rather unattractive, and the alliance failed too. Cromwell was blamed for both misfortunes and apparently lost his head. We're, uh, we're pretty sure that no matter what happens to Scooter Libby, he's, he's going to get off uh, considerably lighter. And this date in 1586 was a red-letter day for drug addiction, and when the English explorer, Sir Walter Raleigh, brought back the first tobacco from Virginia to England. And because Sir Walter Raleigh, he was such a stupid get. On July 27, 1794, Maximilien Robespierre, the architect of the French Revolution's Reign of Terror, was overthrown and arrested. Robespierre had encouraged the execution, mostly by guillotine, of more than 17,000 people. The day after his arrest, he himself was guillotined before a cheering mob at the Place de la Revolution in Paris. And on a considerably more upbeat note, on this date, July 27th in 1953, after three years of a bloody and frustrating war, the United Nations, the People's Republic of China, North Korea, and South Korea agreed to an armistice, bringing the Korean War to an end. Radio Parallax believes they never have uh, officially come to a peace agreement, but I guess an armistice has, has done pretty well for these 53 years. Our quote of the day, and it's an old one, comes from Voltaire who once said the art of medicine consists of amusing the patient while nature cures the disease. Our statistic of the day, according to Fox News, 
is that 73% of Americans say burning the American flag should be illegal. 21% say it should be legal. We're hoping that's as accurate as most of the rest of the reporting on Fox News. Of course, let's balance that off with a second statistic of the day, also from Fox News, which says that 50% of Americans want a third political party to form over the next year and run candidates for the presidency, Congress, and state offices, whereas 37% say that's a bad idea. We hope that one's right. And we have a verbal report from our good friend Kevin Kavanaugh, who reports that on his trip to Ireland two years ago, he went to a village where he thought he might have some relatives and asked if there were some Kavanaugh's around. He was told, well, yes, you may find some of your clan down at the church right now. So he went down, walked in, and realized there was a wake going on. He got to talking to some of the people and realized, well, yes, apparently some of these people are his, his distant cousins. He inquired about the deceased and was told, oh, yes, it's a shame. His liver finally gave out on him. I said, is that right? The fellow said, oh, yes, Twas the drink that got him. Kevin said, well, did you ever think about getting any treatment, going to AA? His cousin said, oh, it wasn't that bad. Well, we have so many piles of so many miscellaneous things, I'm not sure where to begin, but I guess I'll start with this cartoon. We knew that if we waited long enough, this day would finally come. Apparently, Bizarro by Peraro finally produced an amusing cartoon. The caption says, After Clark got laid off at the Daily Planet, (laughs) it shows Superman on his cell phone hovering over Metropolis going, a traffic on the 214 headed over the bridge is slow due to a stalled car. <laughs> now we know that's not hilariously funny, but you know, as far as we're concerned, finding any humor in a bizarro cartoon is, is newsworthy. All right, you may have noticed this is an election year. California is going to uh, elect or, um, or maybe re-elect a governor this coming November. Apparently, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger has all of a sudden decided that the prisons in California are in crisis. He was calling at one point for a special session of the legislature to consider his prison reform proposals. The editors of the San Francisco Chronicle noted not so long ago that if Schwarzenegger is committed to rehabilitation, as he insists he is, the rehabilitation aspects of his proposals must be strengthened, or at least spelled out in more detail. Some reform in California's determinate sentencing laws, which have resulted in one of the highest incarceration rates in the nation, must also be part of the discussion. Yet, said the editors, Schwarzenegger seems to oppose any form of sentencing reform. He thinks reforming California's three strikes law would be, quote, a big mistake, unquote, even though the law has resulted in life sentences for hundreds of inmates who committed nonviolent felonies as their third strike at huge expense to the taxpayers. You may have noticed the contrasting pictures in the July 18th uh, Sacramento Bee, which showed uh, the governor stomping about on some scene of crisis somewhere, contrasted against Phil Angelides saying he was now in favor of a Jessica's Law initiative to serve up further restrictions on sex offenders. Phil now joins 
Governor Schwarzenegger in, uh, in offering support for this November initiative. But uh, we think voting poorly for Democratic chances uh, in, in November, the governor is stomping about in what appears to be, let's see, it's actually, uh, looking at the picture, a scene of smoking tree stumps in the wake of a wildfire, whereas Phil on the same page above him bears an uncanny resemblance to Alfred E. Newman of Mad Magazine. Radio Parallax, uh, as uh, so far, has not gone on assignment down to Laguna West to check out uh, Phil Angelini's supposed green development uh, off Highway 5, which, of course, every morning uh, throws out this giant clot of traffic going north on the interstate. And yes, we keep mentioning it. I think we'll mention it again today. We have great fear and trepidation regarding the election of Phil Angelides as governor simply because we don't think Angelo Sakopoulos and his family kicked in $8.6 million out of their own dough to get uh, Phil the uh, nomination for governor without expecting something in return. And that something in return is going to be more development in the greater Sacramento area which means more traffic, more delays, more smog, more everything that's probably not good, which we've seen so much of in the past uh, decade, decade and a half. We mentioned on last week's program the excellent article in Harper's Magazine uh, titled Break Up Walmart, wherein uh, Barry Lynn makes the antitrust case against the, uh, the world's largest corporation, uh, Walmart, makes a rather persuasive case for uh, how um, something needs to be done. I mean, if Walmart isn't a monopoly, then, uh, you know, there's not much meaning to the term. Although in the article, they do take great pains to explain that what we think of traditionally as a monopoly isn't exactly what Walmart is, which is why it's getting away with murder. We have tentatively lined up someone who has been to China, who was negotiating with uh, Chinese manufacturers while in the very next room, the Walmart people were pounding away on their suppliers. He's got some uh, some opinions on this, and I hope he will speak to you, dear listener. He has an interesting tale or two about adventures in China and how, uh, how once Walmart hooks the Chinese manufacturers, they treat them as badly as they do anyone else who supplies them with um, what they sell in their stores. Anyway, again, great article in Harper's. Recommend very much that you check it out. want to contrast that just thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, China... We talk about reform and China, how good it is for the economy. China, last month, banned the Da Vinci Code. Well, they, 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 they stopped showing the Da Vinci Code after it had run 22 days on a very strong run in Chinese theater. Apparently, the Chinese authorities had struck a balance between the Chinese Catholic Church, which was objecting to showing the film, and the China Film Corporation, the state-owned company that brought the film over. The article by Joseph Kahn, writing in the New York Times, noted that foreign and domestic films are subject to intensive political scrutiny before being shown, and that authorities tend to watch most closely for content they think could undermine the Communist Party's power. So they let the Da Vinci Code run for 22 days, break box office records all over China, turn out people uh, and then you know, in droves, and then decide that's enough, let's cut this off. Had it, of course, in any way challenged the Communist Party, it would never have been shown at all. And I find that uh, very interesting. And, and I, ask, I have to ask if you think that's interesting, too, uh, dear listener. Uh, the fact that we have the world's largest corporation completely in bed with the authorities over in China, which still is the Chinese Communist Party. They still run the country with an iron hand. 
you know, it is it is that organization which directs how things get done. They're willing to make you a millionaire now. They're willing to let a certain amount of economic reform. They're willing to uh, jack up the Chinese economy. But it's still the Chinese Communist Party running the show. It's really quite an odd situation and worthy of further comment, but that's it for today. Let's talk about some of these environmental wackos out there that keep insisting the so-called global warming is taking place. Oh, sure, they cite statistics that say that the 10 hottest years ever have come in the last 14 and that the hottest year ever recorded was like the last year since June 05 to June of 06. And, um, well, I suppose some of the wild-eyed freaks may say that this June is, you know, has something to do with global warming. This, you know record-breaking run of 100-degree heat we've had here in the Central Valley. We, of course, think you should ignore those crazy people. Uh, actually, we talked about global warming. I, yours truly talked about global warming on uh, the Insight program over at KXJZ on Friday, and I think it went uh, pretty well. If you heard it, I hope, I hope you think so, too, because you, of course, are the ultimate judge of such things. Uh, my favorite moment for the hour came when, uh, when I was talking to Terry Tamanen, who's the uh, energy an environmental advisor to Governor Schwarzenegger, and who actually was a very funny guy. And uh, I asked him if, on my behalf, he wouldn't ask Governor Schwarzenegger if he couldn't lose the Hummer on his hydrogen-powered vehicle because if he'd substitute a compact for the large car, he might be able to get 150 miles range out of it instead of 50. Terry said he'd be sure to pass along my advice to the governor. Personally, I kind of hope that when he, when he passed the word along, the governor said, Yeah, Terry, that, you know, that's really a good idea. Yeah, but I kind of think it probably didn't happen that way, and so far the, the governor hasn't called to my, you know, intense disappointment. Because, you know, frankly, governor, if you're listening, I've got a few more of them up my sleeve. Lisa Maddow, so the California Department of Water Resources, also spoke on, on, on that show. She was very informative, but I did find one answer somewhat unsatisfactory. After she talked about water conservation and how eco-friendly that is, which she had many good points to make, I, I did uh, did have to point out that a lot of people in Northern California are somewhat concerned that, you know, that if we do conserve water up here and save it, that they might just ship it down to Southern California. She noted that that was a myth and that we up here in Northern California were upstream, and I, I didn't really quite follow what she was saying. And this remains a sore point between Radio Parallax and our good friends at, like, uh, Friends of the River or the National Resources Defense Council, who think that, uh, you know, putting in uh, water meters and uh, doing our best to conserve water is a great idea, and in many respects it is, but with no provision made to protect the water that we've saved up here to keep it from being shipped south. Where, by the way, half of it evaporates. And I know they're thirsty down there in Southern California, but pumping water, what is it, 2,000 feet up over the mountains of the Tehachapi Range uh, takes an awful lot of energy, which ain't too eco-friendly. We were trying to secure Jared Diamond on the program uh, uh, last year. He talked in his book, uh, Collapse, about the fact that the uh, Los Angeles Basin has enough water for 1 million people, instead supports 20 million people. And, of course, if rainfall patterns vary, this, this could be a problem. Uh, we also spoke with Dr. Brian Weir, meteorologist here at uh, UCD, who, who talked a little bit about the possible changes in rainfall patterns and how uh, well, this, this, this could, be, could be a worry. Let's talk a little bit about the heat we've been experiencing lately. Um, uh, Ralph 
Vardabedian, writing in the LA Times uh, a couple weeks back, noted that unless you work in a steel factory or an industrial plant of similar nature, the hottest temperatures you will experience in your life likely will occur when you get into a car parked in the broiling sun. He notes that according to the Society of Automotive Engineers, headquartered in, in Pennsylvania, that even on comparatively normal summer days, the inside temperature in a car with dark-colored paint can hit 160 Fahrenheit. Some of the metal or plastic surfaces can reach 200 degrees. The article talked about some solutions to, uh, to overheating cars. Uh, probably the simplest one is to buy a white one. I was shocked in the parking lot last week to go to get into my red Subaru and noted that the outside surface was hotter than I uh, expected. I then walked over and touched a white colored truck and noted a dramatic difference. Uh, I didn't think of my car as dark colored. It's certainly not, you know, not a black or dark green or dark blue car, but uh, boy, I wish I'd bought a white one now. And when uh, the Mercury's, you know, hitting 110, like it has been lately. I'm sure that it gets a lot hotter than 160 inside the average car. And as a public service, let me offer the following advice if this hasn't occurred to you. When you get into a car and it's 180, immediately roll down all the windows. Even if it's 110 outside, that's gonna be 60 or 70 degrees cooler. There's nothing that drives me more crazy then to get into a car, usually with someone from the Bay Area who's not used to these temperatures, you get in the car, they turn on the AC and leave the windows up. At least they do for a few seconds until I start making sounds <laughs> that induce windows to come down really quickly. But seriously, I have to recommend that you do the same uh, in self-defense if you get in a car with somebody like this. I mean, help, help, lower the windows. Getting it immediately down to 110 will mean that your AC is only going to have to drop you the remaining 40 degrees instead of the remaining 110 degrees. And it, it seems like a small point. It's a silly thing to rant about, but wow. Y you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for armed conflict when the International Peace Research Institute in Stockholm released a report noting that wars appear to be in decline, or at least that the number of active major armed conflicts last year was 17, the lowest point in a slide that started with a high of 31 in 1991. Although the flare-up of the war in Afghanistan between the Taliban and coalition forces was recently added to the list, three others had been subtracted, the conflict in Rwanda, southern Sudan, and Algeria. Major conflicts were defined by the Institute as those that cause at least 1,000 battle-related deaths in a given year. Of course, this came about before the recent shenanigans in Gaza and Lebanon. Nevertheless, it's, it's a good sign. Last week was a thankfully bad week for political correctness when Penny Lane cheerfully celebrated in the 1967 Beatles song, Gets to Retain Its Name. 
Apparently, Penny Lane is an unassuming street in the Beatles' hometown of Liverpool. It was originally named for James Penny, a wealthy 18th century slave ship owner. Liverpool was an important port of call for slave ships between Africa and the New World. So recently, some city council members had pressed to rename the road in light of its unsavory past. After protests from Beatles fans, the 90-member council agreed to leave Penny Lane alone. And last week was an ugly week for planet Earth, really, after the New York Times reported that NASA no longer includes the phrase to understand and protect our home planet in its mission statement. The original statement said NASA's mission is to understand and protect our home planet, to explore the universe and search for life, to inspire the next generation of explorers, as only NASA can. Now, NASA's stated mission is, quote, to pioneer the future in space exploration, scientific discovery, and aeronautics research, unquote. NASA climate scientist James Hansen had, of course, told the media previously that the White House had been editing climate-related press releases to make global warming seem less of a threat. At the time, he said, in my more than three decades in the government, I've never witnessed such restrictions on the ability of scientists to communicate with the public. Contacted about this NASA mission statement, Hansen said that uh, the change in wording might reflect White House eagerness to shift the spotlight away from global warming. You gotta admit, that's pretty ugly. That's it for segment number one. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for more to follow. You, of course, are listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.